Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. We usually think of fat as something to get rid of, not to add on. In fact, the previous episode of this podcast was all about the various methods of reducing or removing fat. Well, what if I told you that fat can sometimes be considered more as liquid gold? That's right. It can actually be moved from one place in the body to another location and become a desired addition. This is called fat transfer or fat grafting or fat injections. And beyond the volume or contour improvements that can occur, in certain situations, the simple presence of this fat can have a transforming effect on the surrounding tissues in the fat's new home or on the overlying skin quality. We delve into this interesting and sometimes surprising subject with Dr. Alexis Hazen in New York, who shares her experience and her wise thoughts with us. Here we go. Well, I'm pleased today that we have Dr. Alexis Hazen for a wonderful conversation about fat grafting today. And she is affiliated with New York University Langone Department of Plastic Surgery, and she's in solo private practice in New York. Welcome, Dr. Hazen. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Great. Well, let's start by finding out a little bit about you. What is your practice like and what types of cases do you do? Sure. So I am now in private practice and I have been for the past five years. So before that, I was um, on staff at NYU. I'm still affiliated with them. And that shift has changed my practice a little bit. I used to do big reconstructive cases doing microsurgery. Ah, And now I do a little bit less of that. Um, I don't really do any emergencies anymore, you know, unless a friend's kid has a laceration that I might sew it up. And my practice is basically aesthetic and reconstruction. I probably do less aesthetic than reconstructive cases. It's mostly breast reconstruction. And I do a lot of gender affirming surgery also. And then since I've been in private practice, I've been able to kind of expand to a whole sort of holistic approach to skincare. So we do a lot of supplements. We do PRP for skin rejuvenation and and hair restoration. And we're coming out with a line of products soon. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, really exciting. And I really like to look at all patients, you know, from head to toe and figure out like, how can I help them with their sleep, their 
food, their skincare regimen. Because I think, you know, especially if you're doing aesthetic surgery, like to do it in a vacuum and not look at, you know, what somebody is doing. Yeah, yeah. that it's really important to do that. Yeah, you have a rich variety of things that you offer your patients. I think yeah. that's lovely. Yeah, it's great. Well, wonderful. Well, we're here to talk about fat transfer or fat grafting, or some people just call it fat injections. Would you start us off by just explaining for the listeners what fat grafting is? Sure. So graft, you know, in our world, the world of plastic surgery, it's really like a transfer. So, you know, if it's a skin graft, it's transfer of skin. Fat, it's transfer of fat. So So one place to another. One place to another. Exactly. And within the same body. So we're not doing this between two people. It's you know, That'd your be body with fat. I know okay. <laughs> people sometimes say that, but yeah. so basically, there are two parts to it. One is removing the fat, and that we generally call liposuction. And then you process the fat in some manner, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you put the fat where you want it. So typically, most people have a little extra fat where they don't want it. I mean, most of us, you know, can look at our bodies, and even if we're near our quote unquote ideal body weight. We might have a little fat extra on our hips that we don't like or our inner thighs or, you know, most people have a little fat in a place that they don't want it and they may have kind of a deficit in another spot. So essentially we're doing liposuction, kind of processing the fat to get just the fat element of it so you're not transferring water or blood or oil. And then examples might be breast enhancement or cheeks or Mm -hmm lips on the face. Or a big one that you hear about a lot is BBL. Mm-hmm. And that stands for Brazilian butt lift. It's <laughs> yes. just kind of funny that that's the actual term for it. And that's when you take fat from typically the stomach or the flanks, and then you transfer it to the buttocks to enhance the buttocks and give a rounder, more projected derriere. Yeah. So we have this wonderful substance that we can use in different ways than the form it originally started in. Totally. Um, And how did this concept of recycling of fat, if you will, come about? People always think about trying to lose fat, but here we're talking about repurposing it. So how did that come about? Well, liposuction has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, and Sid Coleman in our world was very much responsible for this, um, they figured out techniques where you could easily re-inject the fat. Mm-hmm. And we were using different substances to enhance. And so we were using things like implants. And there were breast implants and that they developed buttock implants. And, and really, I mean, implants can be customized to enhance any part of the body. So we were doing that already. And then um, people like Sid Coleman figured out that we could use something that was natural, that would develop its own blood supply, that would last forever, and it wouldn't pose the threat of using a foreign body. So a foreign body is when you're putting something in your body that is not coming from your body. Mm -hmm. So things like hip implants or any kind of implant in the body, breast implants, are examples of a foreign body. And the, the issue with that or the problem with that is that you can develop infections you can develop scar tissue around an implant, and that can pose long-term and short-term problems. So when this was sort of figured out, and I guess now it's probably 20 years ago, it was recognized that you could take fat from liposuction 
and put it back in the body and that the body would accept it Mm -hmm. and that it would develop a blood supply and kind of take on the new territory and just become part of the body wherever you put it, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, it is amazing when you really think about the whole concept. Um, Well, we've started this a little bit, but let's get into a little bit more depth about some of the broad variety of uses for the fat. Sure. And I'd like to kind of break it down into body uses and then facial uses. But as we start thinking about the body, let's go over again some of those areas and maybe talk about them in a little more detail. Sure. Um, Just what are your thoughts? I think the thing that's cool about it is that because fat is not in a form, Mm -hmm. right, it doesn't have a shape. You can really sculpt and create a shape. Great examples of that are the buttocks and even the breasts. So breast implants are, you know, most people know what those are. And they're very, very common. And they're very successful in augmentation. But sometimes in changing the shape of a breast or if someone wants just more upper pole fullness, fullness at the top of the breast, you could really use fat to create that new shape. Whereas an implant is just a fixed shape. Yeah. Buttocks is the same thing. You know, you can enhance just the top of the buttocks or some people as they age, the buttocks sort of droops. So filling that skin envelope with a little bit of fat could sort of puff out the whole buttocks and make it look more youthful and more round. In rest, how much change in volume do you think can be accomplished? You know, as people always talk about wanting to go up a certain number of cup sizes and things like that. What's realistic? In my hands, I think what's realistic is a cup size. Okay. I can't get two cup sizes in one round of fat grafting. And I think the reason why is the skin on below can start to become too tight. Then there's sort of a resistance factor and the fat won't survive. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to safely and happily inject about 250 cc's to each side, several ounces of max to about 400 cc's. That would correspond to, you know, at least a cup size, I would say. Yeah. And then, you know, in all of the literature, this has been studied does it survive? How much survives? How does it survive? And no matter what technique you use, there is a percentage of the fat that will survive, meaning it's going to last forever. Nobody reports that 100% of it survives, yeah. but somewhere between 50 and 70%, I think, is sort of a reasonable estimation. And the rest, the body would just resorb the it. The body and, would, would yeah. resorb it. And there are some potential problems with that. So if the fat hasn't been processed in a certain way, there might be some oil and that could create cysts. Mm -hmm. But in general, it just kind of gets absorbed and you wouldn't really notice. The only thing you'd notice is that right after the procedure, you might be a little bit bigger and then, you know, combined swelling and resorption, the size and shape might change a little bit. Sure. Is there ever any concern about changing the ability to monitor for breast cancer or things like that with fat grafting to the breast? So that's a great question. And this has been a big concern. And there's been a lot of debate about this. And there's, I would say, some, you know, healthy skepticism about whether this was safe and wise and and could it potentially, you know, induce a cancer and you're bringing in new blood supply. Could that, you know, kind of inspire growth, stimulate growth? And the answer is no. And so... There's some findings that you see sometimes with breast cancer that you, that are visualized on an x-ray. And those are 
different than what you would see with the changes with fat. And the fat transfer doesn't seem to obscure any of those potentially malignant or cancerous changes. So I think it's really been proven to be quite safe. And we should go back to the buttocks, though, because there were some serious safety issues with that. Maybe you could explain Um, that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So BBL or Brazilian butt lift or fat transfer to the buttocks. A couple of years ago, I want to say maybe two or three, there were a bunch of actual deaths connected to this procedure. In general, they weren't in this country. And in general, they were with larger volumes of fat transfer, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so they were investigated and there was actually a whole committee of plastic surgeons who looked at this very closely to figure out like what is going on and is it safe and how can we make it safer? And it turns out that injecting into the muscle, particularly in the buttocks, is perceived to be dangerous because Mm -hmm. the fat could enter the blood vessels and the blood vessels in the buttocks are larger than the blood vessels in the surrounding skin and subcutaneous fat. And that could travel to the lung and cause what's called a pulmonary embolism, which could literally cause death on the operating table. So there are sort of two ways of dealing with this safely. One is using an ultrasound guided tool so that you could visualize exactly where the fat's going and make sure that you're not going into the muscle layer. Right. Um, and the second is for people who have a lot of experience doing this and understand the anatomy and have operated on the buttocks from doing flaps and other surgeries, they have a very good sense of where the muscle is and how to avoid injecting into it. Mm-hmm. And so if you stay in that subcutaneous layer, which is where the fat normally is, there isn't fat in the muscle, um, it's very safe. Yeah, that's comforting, I'm sure, for people to know yeah. Yeah. that this has been well studied and that there are methods now to try to minimize any risk to yeah. the patient. So. And I think young surgeons who haven't done this before, they often are using the ultrasound guidance and they think that's very wise. Mm-hmm. Well, what about other areas of the body where fat can be grafted into that could be helpful? What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I think the hips are a great area. It's sort of an extension of the buttocks. But for people who are very straight, women who kind of don't have any curves, yeah, right. I think it looks really amazing. And anytime you make something smaller, something also looks bigger. So if you're making the waist look a little bit smaller, it by nature will make the hips look a little bit larger. And you can use a very small amount to fill in and make a little curvier. I think hands are a great place for anti-aging. How would it be used in the hands and why? So for older people out there, they'll know what we're talking about. For young people, they'll look at their hands and think, why would you ever put fat into your hands? (laughs) It makes no sense. But one of the things that happens with aging is you lose subcutaneous fat in some parts of the body. It's just like you lose it in all the places where you would really want to have it. Like You lose subcute fat in your face and you lose it in your hands. And what yeah. that does is it makes your hands look very old and wrinkly. Yeah. You know, so many people get facial things done yeah. to reduce the signs of aging. You heard that adage where some people say, if you really want to see how old someone is, just look at their look hands. Look at their hands. Right. right. Absolutely. 
And so some of the things that happen are you can almost see the tendons and you can see the veins. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some people don't think about that at all. But for the people who do think about it and notice it, you just inject sort of fine layer of fat and it makes the skin look a little plumper and more youthful, eliminates the wrinkles and also eliminates being able to see you know, real protruding veins and tendons. Sure. Hand surgeons do that sometimes. And, you know, so people who are specially qualified in hand surgery and then also, you know, plastic surgery generalists. Sure. And then I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but the face is a natural place where as we age, we lose volume in our face. And that that tends to make you look a lot older. You know, if you think about youthful faces, they're often very full, have full cheekbones, mm-hmm. full lips, and using fat in a moderate manner, I would say, can be a wonderful enhancement to especially cheekbones and lips. And unlike off-the-shelf fillers, mm-hmm. which are so popular nowadays, mm-hmm. and you know, I think they're great, mm-hmm, but sure. The fat, a portion of it will last forever. So you don't have to keep on going to your plastic surgeon to re-enhance. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, and let's talk about some of those specific areas of the face. You've talked about cheeks. You mentioned jawline a little bit, especially in males, but even females. Yeah. Some people like a little bit better definition there. Are there some other places in the face that benefit from it? I mean, you kind of can look at a face and and any area is fair game, Um, with the exception of sort of the upper eyelids. Sure. But, you know, there's a non-surgical nose job. And so for people who have like a dent in their nose Mm -hmm. or they don't have a very projected tip, you can even inject, you know, just tiny amounts into the nose and it can create a really different look that is, you know, perhaps much more. Yeah, can contour it. Underneath the eyes for eyelid depression, tear trough deformity, as we call it. The nasolabial fold, which is kind of the laugh lines. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The line going down from the corner of the mouth to the chin, which we call the marionette line. Yes. And then one area which you don't really think about, but is really connected with someone looking much older is the temporal area. Yes, I right? find that so much. Absolutely. So if you look at your eye from the outer border of your eyelid back towards your hairline, that area we call the temporal area. And in some people, it gets very thinned out and almost depressed. And like it really it looks very, very aging for people. So just a thin layer of fat there can really do wonders and take a lot of years off with people. Yeah, I think those are excellent points. And it just shows the wide variety of places where fat could actually be helpful in the face. And, you know, you touched on fillers. What are some of the pros and cons of using fillers versus fat in the face in terms of you know, well, maybe we want to just test things out and see if we like the look or, you know, maybe want something more permanent or uh, that kind of thing. So I think there's sort of two big advantages of using filler. One is it's temporary. So if you don't like it, it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. And in most cases for off-the-shelf filler, we actually have enzymes that can dissolve it. So if you really don't like it, you know, you could get it dissolved like the next day. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that you're just taking a box of an FDA approved product off of the shelf and you're injecting it. So you, that's an office procedure. 
generally, if you're removing fat and injecting it, that would be something that you need to do in the operating room. So it's a much more involved procedure and that is connected to expense and also downtime. So you're more likely to have some swelling and bruising with the fat injection than with the off the shelf. And, you know, the cost, it is possible to do these procedures under local in the office, but it, that would be a very chill and relaxed patient. Yeah. And, and probably for a, small amounts. And very small amount. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is possible. I used to do them a little bit in the office, but yeah, yeah. You, do, you don't want to do a big one there necessarily. No, definitely not. You know, we've talked a little bit about skincare in your practice. And what about the effects of fat grafting to the skin in the new area? Are we seeing some changes in the quality of the skin or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, go back to Sid Coleman, who sort of is the father of American fat grafting. One of the things that they noticed when they first started doing fat grafting in, in the face is that the quality and the texture of the skin seemed to improve. And so they weren't really sure why or what was happening. And it's still not exactly elucidated why that is, whether it's the development of the blood supply or the adipose-derived stem cells, which are part of the fat that you're injecting. But then it was studied further in radiation. So one of the uses that we haven't talked about yet is in breast cancer reconstruction. It can yeah. be used as an adjunct. Mm -hmm. So in addition to an implant, mm -hmm. and then in the setting of radiation, so when a woman has a lumpectomy and then also needs radiation, sometimes the skin becomes quite fibrotic and damaged and the underlying tissues can. At just doing a fat transfer can really improve the quality, texture, and the elasticity of the skin. And so that has been pretty well documented. And there have been a lot of studies looking at that mm -hmm. in um, different models. And so I think we certainly see the changes. And I think it's not clear exactly what is accounting for those changes. Yeah, but It's kind of amazing, though, isn't it? Just yeah, the, so the fact cool. that you can, you know, put this substance from one part of the body to another and create these changes in it's, that new home. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a bonus. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, so we've really covered a lot of things yeah. in terms of the body and the face that can be used. But just generally, what about affecting areas that have a contour irregularity or damage from previous surgery, whether it's reconstructive surgery, you know, taking out a tumor or something and leaving a deficit, or perhaps a surgery that was cosmetic in nature and didn't turn out the way we wanted it to? Yeah. What about using fat there? And then also, what about... Uh, the effect of grafted fat on scars. So all those are great examples of how also you could use fat. So it's not just for, you know, cosmetic enhancement, but it would be for when something goes awry or when, you know, like you mentioned, for cancer, there might be a deficit or depression. Examples are if someone has kind of been over liposuctioned, so they've had too much liposuction, they've removed too much fat. Sure. And now I'm sure it's annoying that you would have to get another procedure, <laughs> yeah, right. but it would be possible to do a small amount of liposuction in you know, a uniform way so it wouldn't create a new problem and then use that fat to inject into any contour deformities. Mm -hmm. And then if there's a deficit or a depression, as long as the skin isn't too tight, 
you could use fat to help fill in that contour. Sometimes when people have cancer and things removed, they also remove skin. And so there, there might be not enough space to inject the fat. But in a lot of cases, right. like a lumpectomy is a really good example. Sometimes, you know, the tissue is removed and then that creates an asymmetry between the two breasts. So as a reconstruction, rather than using an implant or a flat, which we sometimes do, you could just use fat because that typically would be a small amount mm-hmm. and it would survive. And then scars, um, because fat does have this sort of positive effect on skin quality, uh, scars in general, you know, if you think of what a scar is, it's a lesser quality skin. Mm-hmm. And so it can improve how scars look also. Yeah. And it kind of has a softening effect on skin and surrounding tissue. And if you think of radiation damage, as we talked about earlier, it's really scarring of the skin. It's fibrosis of the skin. And it really improves that. So it makes sense that it would actually help scars as well. Yeah. The miracle substance, liquid gold. Liquid gold. That's right. Well, we started off with this a little bit, but would you briefly tell us how the procedure is done? So we talked about liposuction for the fat harvesting. Yeah. But uh, how do you process the fat? What What does that mean, processing the fat? Right. It used to be that there weren't so many different options and methods for removing fat, quote unquote, processing it and getting it back into the body. Yeah. But now there are actually many different methods. And I think it hasn't been clear what which is the best. So I would say it's sure. probably surgeon preference. But in general, we're doing liposuction, which we do with something called tumescent solution. So tumescent solution, it's injecting fluid that has epinephrine that constricts the blood vessels, prevents bleeding, and lidocaine, which helps numb the area so that the anesthesia requirement is less, um, and that helps with your recovery post-op. And so we remove it, and then often it's in what we call a closed system. So it leaves the body through tubes that are sterile, goes into a sterile container, and then what you want to do is get that fluid blood any oil out of that fat, purify it. So there are different ways of doing that. Some is just letting it sit and the liquid will settle out to the bottom and the fat Mm -hmm. rises to the top. Mm -hmm. Or another method is actually centrifuging it, which you can do in their systems where you rotate it. um, Mm -hmm. Or you can- Kind of spin it like a salad spinner. Yeah, like a (laughs) salad. No, it's exactly like a salad spinner. A very sterile salad spinner. (laughs) And then some surgeons even wash the fat. So Mm -hmm. they- take sterile saline fluid and they flush through it. I don't think that's been proven to be beneficial, but most people feel that you should just inject as close to only fat as possible Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, because then you can see what your end result is going to be. If you inject the fat that hasn't been quote unquote processed, then you're injecting a lot of fluid. That fluid has to be absorbed. And so it's really hard to tell what you're actually doing. And then in some instances, in small cases, we do something called telsa rolling, which is where you take the fat out, you put it on a a specialized gauze pad, which absorbs the fluid and absorbs the oil, and you're kind of left with just the fat. And then we use blunt cannulas, which means they don't have a point on them. 
and we inject it into, you know, wherever we're going to inject it. Yeah. So basically the fat is introduced into a syringe. Yeah. And then instead of a needle, you have this tube with a little opening at the end called a cannula. And as you say, it's blunt tipped so that we don't create any trauma or injury with that and just inject it where you want it, which is a beautiful system because, as you say, you can really just see exactly the effect you're going to have on that new area. Yeah. As a surgeon, it's a very cool procedure because you really feel like you're you're like a sculptor, you know, because you can create the contour that you want. And you mentioned earlier about Ben for jaws. Yeah. And I think that's a great area for anyone who's aging a little bit, you know, because it helps create the framework for a little bit of a yeah, lift yeah. so that... At the corner of the jaw. At the corner yeah. of the jaw. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Well, you know, as we talk about the ability to have fat grafting done or people who might be interested in that, whether it's for cosmetic reasons or reconstructive reasons... We do have to harvest the fat. And so does a person have to be overweight to be a candidate for harvesting that fat? That's a really good question. And the answer is no. (laughs) But there are some people who just don't have enough fat to harvest for um, something like a breast enhancement. So if your BMI is very low and you have very little subcutaneous fat, then that person probably is not a candidate. But it's extremely rare. I mean, I see so few patients like that. But most people, if they're a normal, healthy weight for themselves, they may have a little extra fat on their inner thigh, or they may have a little extra fat at the lower abdomen. So especially if you're doing a small volume transfer, usually there's enough fat to be able to find it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll get a little. Yeah, exactly. And I would say, in my experience, when people are not overweight, when you transfer the fat, it tends to have a better take. Mm, So survival is better. Survival seems to be better. Yeah. And let's touch on that a little bit because what you're saying, and this is the general thinking about fat transfer, is that just because you transfer the fat to a new area does not mean it's going to survive. And there'll be a certain percentage of it that takes or survives and a certain percentage that gets resorbed by the body. So because of that, do you have to overfill an area in anticipation of that? And do you have to repeat a procedure of fat grafting in order to get to your desired outcome? So I think it depends on the goal. And for most people, they have the idea they want an enhancement, but they don't have a a specific sort of idealized version of themselves in mind. So I think most surgeons tend to overgraft a little bit, knowing that to achieve the end result that they think they want and they think they want for their patient, you're going to have to inject a little bit more. But the worry, if it does take close to 100% and that overgrafting isn't the desired look you want, then you've created a new problem. So I think most surgeons are sort of a bit reluctant to do that. Mm -hmm. The other thing, which is really important to think about, and when you're either considering doing this procedure or when you're a surgeon performing the procedure, you really need to find out about a patient's weight history. So this isn't a great procedure to do in people whose weight tends to go way up and way down Mm -hmm. because when the fat does take, 
if you gain weight, you will gain weight in that fat as well. In other words, the fat will expand. Yeah. So maybe that's okay in the breasts or the buttocks, but in the face, not it's, on the face, it yeah. could potentially be a real problem. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So I think taking a really good history about someone's weight and how steady and stable, because some people, you know, their weight can fluctuate greatly for whatever reason, and you will tend to gain weight in the places where the fat is transferred, yeah. more so than the places where it was removed, because as you know, when we gain weight, our fat hypertrophies, meaning the fat expands yeah. rather than getting more fat cells. Yeah. You don't gain more cells than no. just the, the cells that the are there, there get, get bigger. bigger. Yeah. So, that, so that's something you really got to think about. Yeah. And the opposite is probably true. And I've found this as well, is that if a person loses a significant amount of weight, then if they've had fat grafting to the face, they might look at the face and say, hey, did you even do anything? Yeah. I see it there. Exactly. So, you know, implants are very stable. Right. When we inject implants or filler off the shelf, it's stable, you know, until it dissolves. But implants don't change. You, you could gain and lose weight and they stay the same. Whereas fat grafting is much more, you know, in keeping with the rest of your body. Exactly right. Well, you mentioned that for someone who is just so slender and doesn't have much body fat at all, yeah. they may not be a good candidate, especially if they're looking for a fair amount of fat to be transferred. But are there any other reasons why someone might not be a good candidate for fat grafting? You know, this is true for all these procedures, you know, anything in plastic surgery, if you don't have realistic expectations. And so I think just getting a good history and figuring out what does a patient really want. Yeah. Other than that, you know, you have to look at comorbidities. So, you know, things that could cause trouble. So diabetes, high blood pressure. Yeah. Things that would be of concern for any operation. Yeah. Other medical are, problems. Other sure. medical issues are concerned. And with fat grafting, the infection rates tend to be very low. But someone who has an auto disorder, you know, oh, you, you yeah. might want to be a little bit more careful about. Sure. And whether you're doing a small amount of fat grafting or a larger amount, what would a patient expect in terms of recovery? So, the, you know, the more you're removing, the more the recovery. And to some extent, the more you're rejecting, the more recovery. But I find that really the recovery from the removal is much more so than the recovery from the injection. Yes. And I think if you've ever watched liposuction, you'll understand why. It's a little rough. And what it does is it creates a lot of swelling. And the swelling then stays in those tissues of where it's removed. And then that creates, you know, some discomfort. And swelling is inflammation around the nerves. We don't cut yeah. the nerves, but they can become irritated. Yeah. And so that translates to discomfort. Mm-hmm. And that can take a long time to go away. If you're removing a lot of fat, you know, it may take three months for all the swelling to resolve. So in general, recovery is pretty fast. And mm-hmm. in terms of getting back to activities, because the incisions are tiny, so we're making tiny incisions where we remove it, tiny incisions to where we're replacing it, that healing happens really quickly. Typically, after a week or so, most people can get back to normal activities. But you're not going to feel like your normal self That's for right. maybe as long as three months because it takes that long for the swelling to get out of tissues. Smaller volume procedures, you know, definitely shorter recovery to feeling normal again. Makes sense. 
Well, you've given us some great information today. What do you think the future might hold for fat grafting, both in terms of technique improvements or uses of fat? Or is there anything you'd like to see pursued or developed that's not really in the works right now? Well, I think one thing that will be interesting is we've looked at different enhancements to improve the take of fat grafting. Mm -hmm. So infusing it with stem cells and, you know, other aspects. So that would be interesting if we could figure out a way to make it take 100% because then you know what you're injecting is exactly what you're going to get. Then the other thing that I think would be really cool and I always have thought of is to be able to take fat out of the body. So this is especially good for thin people. Expand it and create a shape like a breast and then put it back in. And I think that that would be possible. Like or, you're 3D printing or sculpting yeah, or something like, with right. fat. Or, fascinating. Or to also take out fat and be able to kind of store it for later use. Oh, we know right. that you can store it, but then the take goes down to about yeah. 30% or less. Is low. Mm-hmm. But I think those are things that might be possible in the future. Those are some fascinating thoughts. I love yeah. those. Well, Gosh, Dr. Alexis Hazen, you've been so helpful today. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with about our subject or just about plastic surgery in general? Yeah, I'm very passionate about plastic surgery and I'm really a fan of people trying to, you know, transform themselves in the ways that they want to, to make themselves feel their healthiest and happiest. But I think the most important thing is safety. And I think you know, really do your research about your surgeon and the facility where they are operating. And, you know, when we hear these stories of people going to, you know, a non-accredited location with someone who doesn't have the right credentials, it's very upsetting. Because these procedures can be done very safely and very effectively. Mm -hmm. And so I think just do your research, see a board certified plastic surgeon and go to a an accredited facility, and then, you know, you'll have a great result. Oh, I think those are wise words. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for thank sharing you. some time with us today. It's been a delight. Yeah, thank you so much. It really has been my pleasure. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.